0: So we're going to complete our series in 1 Corinthians, having got through all 16 chapters over this last uh, couple of terms or so, and explored extraordinary uh, issues around uh, sex, sexuality, marriage, um, around worship, around the role of women in ministry. Um, And we've touched on the wonderful passage on love uh, that's been read out at weddings and seen some of the tests that Paul's gone through in terms of relating to this church that he's planted in Corinth. And now in this concluding chapter, we see a lot of his humanity coming through in a very mundane chapter compared to many of the other high um, highfalutin ones that we've had earlier. And this hopefully will give us lots of lessons to draw from as we think about um, the humanity of the church and just the ordinariness of much of what we do together because it's in the ordinariness that our Christianity shines through as much as in the great and wonderful worship services and other sort of steps forward. So we'll work through it um, bit by bit, and before we do so, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your living word, and thank you for the Apostle Paul and for all that he has taught us and millions and billions of people before us about our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today to put our trust in Christ And turn to him in trouble and in good times. In your precious name. Amen. Well, the first thing we learn in this passage is um, a degree of mutuality for the church. Was it designed to be one little one person on their own having a private relationship with God? Nor was it designed to be one little group of people on their own having a private relationship with God. What we see in the first little paragraph is a sense of the churches having a collective responsibility internationally for the international church. And what Paul is asking them to do is take up an offering and take it all the way to Jerusalem, where the church is under siege for different reasons. And he is very helpful in this. He's saying there's a a way of taking up an offering, which is very helpful. On the first day of the week, the day that you gather together for worship, it's a Sunday, um, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that, when, uh, um, so that you don't have to then appeal for special collections because people have just got in the habit of giving a percentage of their income week after week. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I grew up in a church context and I was given pocket money. And out of my pocket money, my parents said, and this is the bit that you take to church. It was 10% of what I was given. I would take along my coin, stick it in the collection at the Sunday school school, and you get into a habit of thinking, actually, it's not all for me. Uh, I need to use it to bless other people as well. And this has been the general practice ever since this letter was written. And before this letter was written, in the churches, to say to people, set aside finances and uh, bring them in, and uh, then you can, then you can give them. This this Sunday, I was down with the Pentecostals, having preached at the ten thirty. I, I did the nine o'clock. Um, leading, then preached here at the 10.30, and then I went down to the Pentecostal church to preach there as well. And uh, the thing about Pentecostal churches, there's lots to learn from them, wonderful, exuberant life. And you always get two sermons in the Pentecostal church, I've found. And the first sermon is the one on giving. Um, so you have the worship, then you have a sort of an interlude, then you have a little talk on giving, and then you have the, the giving. People come up and bring their collection, quite, quite like this passage describes and a sort of a joyous sense of, this is, this is what I want to contribute to the life of the church. Of course, in a high-tech era like uh, 21st century and in our, our congregations, uh, most of us probably give through our bank accounts just by standing orders on a regular thing. We don't have to think about it. We make one big decision, and then it just keeps coming through. Much nicer for the treasurer. <laughs> it helps him sleep more easily. And of course, we have the wonders of gift aid, which make a huge difference. To the life and ministry of church here, but the pattern is still the same. Think about what you're going to give, and from your best, give straight straight away um, to the Lord. And the ministry, the work, is not just uh, for the people there, particularly here. He wants to give a gift to the people in Jerusalem, and he's wondering. Just this sort of umming and ahring going on here. Shall I go? Maybe I'll go with them. I'm not sure. And it's rather nice when you're faced with making decisions as we are, week by week, thinking, oh, I wonder what I should do next. Shall I drive down to New Wine at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning or shall I drive down uh, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon after going to a wedding? Um, You just don't know sometimes, do you? And you you get the sense of Paul going, oh... Well, I'm going to see what the weather's like, and then I'll decide if I'm going down to Jerusalem. And it's nice to have a flavor of that humanity and also the sense that he will give letters of introduction in verse 3 to help people along the way. It helps to know someone, doesn't it? It opens doors for you. And Paul's got to the point now where he's someone worth knowing, and uh, he's prepared to open doors for them in Jerusalem. So then we come to verse five onwards, which is uh, labeled in the NIV personal requests, (laughs) which sort of means like, I'm not quite sure what this bit's about. Um, There's just some random stuff that's been chucked into the chapter. And uh, let's let's have a look at it uh, because it gives us more insight into Paul. Um, And he says, well, I'm going to Macedonia and then I'll come to you. Um, Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so you can help me on the journey wherever I go. I don't want to just see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'm going to stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because the great doors will open up for me there, uh, despite people who have opposed me. And actually, when we come to 2 Corinthians, you'll find out that this paragraph caused Paul quite a lot of trouble. Because there'll be people that he's responding to in the second letter to Corinthians, who's like, we don't know if you're coming and going, Paul. You said you're coming to us, but you didn't turn up in the timescale that you said you were going to turn up in. So, therefore, I am, I'm not really with you on this one. You said you were going to get a decision made by May or whatever, and it's now November or January, and still haven't done what you said you were going to do on the tin. I've given up on you. So, you can see the perils of setting out a, a direction in this chapter if you cross reference it with 2 Corinthians. And that's just life, isn't it? Sometimes life just happens. And clearly in verse 8, he's got this door that's opened up in Ephesus. He wants to stay there and see what can happen. And there's also this hint that there may be difficulties there. There are people who oppose him, and he's not quite sure if it's all going to work out as he wants to. Um, So he's got um, plan two. And plan two comes from the fact that Paul doesn't just work on his own. He has a whole load of people that he knows he can deploy and send out before him. We have just had the holiday club in here last week, and we had 84 children and about 30 people on the team. And what was really nice is that three years ago, uh, and, and more, I was standing up the front and just sort of looking after everything, making sure things worked, along with the Pulse team. Uh, two years ago, Mike Tufnell was doing that, and last year as well. Uh, and this year, Dennis was doing it. And it's just a nice sense of flow through that different people sort of grow and learn. But the visiting team uh, was led by Pete Oakley, one of our mission partners from the Pulse Ministries. And he was actually ill one of the days. And so instead of Pete, the experienced 37-year-old children's worker, uh, heading up those sections that he would have done, they were headed up by uh, Jess, who is 20 on her second gap year, and a Lizzie, who is a 16-, 17-year-old member of our church. And they were the two up the front, managing the, 60, uh, the 80 children and the 30 Helpers, and doing a fantastic job of telling the story of Jesus uh, and doing the singing and the dancing. it was just a glorious thing to see. And Paul knows that he doesn't have to do everything. And um, this of course, has been one of the disasters of Anglicanism down the years, is the sense that the father knows best or the vicar is supposed to do everything has been absolutely crippling for the growth of the church and, uh, and releasing other people into ministry. I, I'll only get the vicar to brave me. Ter- terrible, terrible mentality. Sometimes it's nice, but it's not essential. It's God that we need, not the clergy. And um, Paul knows this. So he says, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you, and I'll try and send Apollos as well. Apollos, he says, is being a pain in the neck. He's not doing what I'm telling him to do. He's uh, he's got his own mind and opinion, and he's not on the payroll, so I can't just direct him. But frankly, he should have gone when I told him to, uh, but he didn't. Uh, But Timothy, he's a younger one. I'm sending him along to you, Um, but watch out because he doesn't look like me. Um, And when when he gets to you, please, in verse 11, don't treat him with contempt. Know that he's coming fully on my behalf, even though he's an intern. (laughs) Do you see? It's it's exactly that thing, you know? Uh, I thought I was going to get the bishop, and it turned out to be the intern. (laughs) And he's saying, look, sit down, be quiet, the intern's fine. (laughs) If I've sent him, he comes with the authority of the bishop. Um, So that's it. Full stop. Um, There you go. And then when you finish with him, send him on his way in peace so he can return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. In other words, he's going to come back and tell me how well you received him. So you better make sure you behave well or I'll be upset afterwards as well. So you see this fascinating dynamic, don't you? It's a sense of, it's not a one-man show. There's a band of brothers there. Sometimes they're, they're malleable and pliable and do what they're told. Sometimes they've got their own agenda and you can't quite get them And somehow in the midst of it all, God is doing good things and growing them. We get this lovely uh, anecdote in verse 15 to 18 about the household of Stephanus. And he says, look, if you just look around you in your church, you'll see that there are people there, whether I come or not, whether I get there or not, there are people there that you can clearly respect and trust. Uh, At the moment, the Prochal Church Council and uh, the people in the Order of St. Albans and staff team I'm just trying to prayerfully weigh up um, which members of each of our congregations are the ones who seem to carry spiritual leadership already, uh, where you can just see, yeah, this person is someone that people gravitate around. This person is someone that um, you can just say, go and pray for them, and they know what to do in almost every situation. The person who naturally does the hospitality, the person who builds community um, prayerfully and, and powerfully. And uh, amazingly, across all the congregations, there are, there are scores and scores of names of people within our church family who, who are like that. And Paul's naming some people here. Look, the, the household of stephanus they're go-to people. You're sitting there uh, wondering, ah, how am I going to survive in my Christian life? Um, what should I do? Do I have to go and drag Paul back from Ephesus because he's the one who led me to Jesus? It's like, no, go and sit next to Valerie. <laughs> and sit next to David, have an arm around your shoulder, and just see what they say. Because these are the guys who get it, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I'm so grateful in our church family. I've I've just been to visit a lady who's been in hospital and just got back home today, new in our our nine o'clock congregation, not long there. And it's just lovely to see other church family there looking out for her and visiting her. And the same across the Across the sort of the campus of church life, there are people caring for one another. And of course, the more well-known someone is, the more that they've built relationships and built friendships, the more easy it is for people to miss them and then go and care for them. Um, So dear Bill, who always set our table um, week by week here on a Friday, it's easy to miss him, isn't it? Because he did what he could when he could. And so it's easy to notice that he's not here and he's got people going in day by day, just uh, looking out for him uh, while he's in the hospital. And these are the sort of people, they're the community builders who devote themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And he just says, crikey, we need these guys. And he says, I urge you then, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. What does that mean, to submit to? It's not the image of being a slave under an oppressive master. They're saying, look, make it easy. Make it easy for them. At the holiday club this week, uh, one of the people who was charged with, with leading uh, came out and said that one of the toilets is blocked. And uh, someone uh, just submitted to them, got a bin bag on, on the arm and sorted out the toilet straight away. <laughs> it's just practical stuff often that goes a long way, isn't it? There's no one on tea today. Oh, I'll, I'll do it. It's not being dominated by someone, but it's having that attitude of, I want to join in the gang and serve and make things work. That sort of life-giving attitude, that joyous attitude that makes everything go. We call it being oil in the cogs, don't we? You put the oil on and everything goes a bit better. Someone comes up and they've got a gossip or a gripe, and the oily person just sort of lets it run off (laughs) the... And if, they, if there's a need to say something, in turn, at the right moment, they pass it on filtered <laughs> to a place where it's sensible, but it just sort of dies a death as well with them. There's no momentum being built to it, whereas obviously the person who isn't like the household of Stephanus sort of adds, adds to the flame and just makes it all burn up until you've got a crisis going on. So be those people, be those people who can submit to these sort of people as well. Uh, the people who join in the work and labors at it, a sense of really trying to build the community there. Verse uh, 17, he mentions Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus who arrive, uh, and they've supplied what's, uh, for poor what's lacking from them. Refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. And we're, we're to guess that these are people uh, who have some sort of credibility in the, in the Roman Empire, uh, those sort of Roman-sounding names, And uh, and he he just sort of has this little jab in there um, saying, actually, you guys have forgotten me, um, but these three have arrived, and they're doing it for me. And I suppose the thing that we can take from that uh, in terms of Paul's leadership is not so much that he's jabbing and saying, oh, guys, you've forgotten me, Um, but he he is acknowledging, isn't he, that, um, that he uh, that he needs support himself. You know, they supplied what, was, what I had lacking. It's not like, I'm an island and I can just do this on my own. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm a superstar, just get the blessings flowing from me. He's like, actually, I've really needed these guys. And he's letting the church family know that he needs the support and encouragement as well. How many church leaders down the centuries have we seen elevated to the sort of status of superstar type hero, I like it, like our modern-day celebrities are. And then you see the pedestal come toppling, and it crashes down, and people's expectations and weights there as well. And Paul's, Paul's not having that. He's like, you know, I don't know, you think I'm impressive or not, says Paul. And we get a whole load of that in two Corinthians. He says, but I've got needs. I need support. I need help. I need prayer. I need encouragement. I need uh, finances as well, as he makes a point earlier. And so they, they then, hopefully, the Corinthians in reading this go, Oh, yeah, we've forgotten Paul, haven't we? Um, we? We ought to support him as well. And so he does this nice little final greetings in uh, verses 19 onwards and uh, just passes on the uh, greetings of the church around Asia. Uh, he talks about Aquila and probably the best translation here is Prissa, which is like a nickname. Do you remember Aquila and Priscilla from other parts of the New Testament? Uh, they're the ones who teach Apollos. Um, what to do, obviously not as well as Paul wanted, um, but he, he uses that nice nickname for Prissa, um, Paul lived with them for 18 months, they were people that he was uh, very close to, and they greet you warmly, and the church that meets in their house does as well and you get, you get this nice sense of the Christian people, like the household of Stephanus, like the household of Aquila and Priscilla, being the people who open up their homes and their lives to other people that you can send people to them they're, they're building blocks. They're people who other people feel stronger around, feel safer around. And we can, now we have our wonderful buildings that we can, we can use that for, but we also have our homes and our coffee shops and our restaurants. And there's that sense of, let's be the people who gather people together like they did uh, and do our small groups or, or just meals or encouragements over in our, in our own homes, our own spaces. And there's this greetings and the charge to greet one another with a holy kiss, which would surely have killed off the uh, fable Mrs. Beamish. Uh, when the piece was introduced in the Church of England in the 80s, uh, Mrs. Beamish was uh, the, uh, the apocryphal one who uh, threatened to sock the vicar uh, for threatening that someone should shake her hands. But um, the, the, the Christian greeting here was the culturally appropriate one, but it's an exuberant, one. it's an intimate one, a holy kiss, maybe on both cheeks. I always get that one wrong. Is it two, three, four, <laughs> one in the middle? <laughs> and then um, verse 21, we get this little line, which uh, might be helpful to reflect on. I write this greeting in my own hand. What does that mean? Well, it means probably the rest of it was written down by a scribe. If you've been watching a poldark, you'll see that practice carried on for centuries and centuries, dictating to a, to a clerk and just uh, just scribbling down. And that's probably how Paul has dictated this letter, and he signs it at the end. And I had a query this week about how many, um, uh, did Paul write all all his letters? Well, the answer is that he dictated most of his letters, and sometimes there are two or three people uh, who who seem to be part of it. If you look over the page to 2 Corinthians, it's it's addressed from Paul and Timothy, our brother. Little Timothy, who's mentioned here, is now one of the, the title people for authoring the letter, and um, if you want to find out more about the letters that Paul wrote, there are thirteen attributed to him in, a, in antiquity. It was fourteen attributed to him, but that was including Hebrews, and no one really thinks he wrote that one. Um, I'll happy chat about that afterwards. Um, then he just says, "If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed." Uh, come, Lord, and uh, then the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, and my love to you all in Christ Jesus. Um, not entirely sure why he feels the need to say a curse on you if you don't love the lord but if you think about it this isn't an evangelistic document this is a a document to the church there and i think probably what it's saying is look if you guys are coming along to church week in, week out um on the one hand we've got the household of stephanus or the um, priscilla and aquilas loving the lord building the community um but it's entirely possible that you also get people in church who just, you know, are there for their own purposes. Maybe they're sucking the life out of everyone. Maybe they're just uh, bitter and griping. Maybe they've just never chosen to love the Lord. And it's like, well, if you want to do that, then go whole hog in. And, and sometimes what it seems that they're, he's trying to do is, is a bit like um, sometimes what, what you do with, uh, with a child when they're stropping. And um, a stroppy child will sometimes go, um, if you say that to me, I'm never, ever going to do this again. And you're like, well, okay then, bye. You know, I affirm you in that choice. You know, never eat again. (laughs) That's fine. You know, a curse on your eating, son. Uh, But of course, when you get, when someone allows you to be put out like that, what, what normally happens is you go, Uh, you you come back, isn't it? But in our communities and even in church contexts, often what people are doing when they're like, I'm never going to do this again. If you do that, I will never. I will not. I will not. What they're basically doing is, they're trying to manipulate attention, aren't they? Um, And the worst thing you can do for someone like that is actually to give them attention at that moment. We know that as parents, don't we? It's just like, that's just not what you do to a stroppy, truculent child. (laughs) And adults who haven't grown up inside, which is most of us some of the time, can be stroppy and truculent. If you do this, I'll never do you. if you've changed the Bibles. <laughs> you know, you can imagine over lesser things than changing a version of the Bible, people have gone into all sorts of toddler-leather tantrums. And they say, well, go on then, have your tantrum. I'm not going to fall over myself to make you feel happy in your tantrum." <laughs> Have your tantrum. And actually, what normally happens then, having had the tantrum for a moment, I'm like, oh, there's no oxygen. I'm not getting any air for this. No one's even listening to my tantrum anymore. I've sulked off to my bedroom. Um, oh. and, and, and at the same time, you see Stephanus, or Priscilla or Aquila, sitting there quite happily going, well, you know, all right. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll go and sit with them again. I felt nicer when I was around them, not stuck out on my own. So I think that's probably the sort of dynamic uh, from verse 22. Although it sounds strong to us, there's a real sense of actually, you know, let people get on with their own devices. We're, not, we're definitely not here to pander to everyone's felt needs or little tantrums. Uh, it doesn't do anyone any good, least of all the person trying to look after the church. Be lovely finished with the grace of the Lord Jesus and love to you all in Christ Jesus. And that concludes First Corinthians. What an incredible letter, so much to learn, so much we've only just touched on, and hopefully more that you can just pick up now. Having gone through this book uh, in detail, week by week on the podcast or live, um, why not flick through 2 Corinthians, or Galatians, or Ephesians, or Philippians? And with the tools that we've used to analyze this book, the other 13 books of Paul should now be open to you, uh, to read and to uh, access for yourself. Um, Because our next series in the autumn, we'll be going into the Old Testament and learning how to read about the life of Moses. Um, so we'll be going into the life of Moses in September. Uh, may God bless us, bless the uh, recording of this word, and bless the preaching. And um, Would you please just protect this church over the summer, Lord? Would you protect this congregation over this summertime? Would your love be here for all to see? And may you just bring refreshment And health and healing to all who, like Paul in this passage, needed refreshing and encouragement and strengthening. Please particularly bless our staff traveling to New Wine today and others who are away in different holidays. Uh, Give people peace and deep refreshment in Jesus' wonderful name.